Hey, welcome back to Beers and Miles, the Elite Files. We're back with episode two with Alex Burks. Uh, we're really excited about this episode. We're going to be focusing on Alex's journey post-collegiately, um, really talking about some major races that uh, have led him to this point, and of course, some uh, fun shenanigans throughout the episode. I think you're really going to enjoy this, and uh, yeah, I won't take much of your time more, and uh, yeah, welcome back to the show. At that point, so you, you finish college, and you the decision to keep running is as a D3 guy is a little different than somebody that it's like goes and finishes off a D1 career All-American. It's like, oh, I'm just going to keep trying to see what happens from here. So D3 guy also didn't make the national meet. Where was the decision to keep going? I think the decision to keep going... And I, I really, I really, maybe, maybe I should like text him and tell him this, but like, I honestly think like the decision happened when I watched my teammate, uh, who like was one of the like biggest reasons why I wanted to go to the national meet. Obviously I wanted to watch everyone, but I really just wanted to see Isaac Garcia Cassani, uh, lived with him for my senior year and, uh, same grade as me. I, w- I wanted to see him win the 1500 at, at nationals, which I had like every confidence that he was going to do, even though he was racing against uh, Jeremy Hernandez, who had just run the first indoor D3 sub four mile. Like there was no doubt in my mind, Isaac was still going to win it. I think watching Isaac run a 54 for his last lap of his 1500 of his final 1500 of his college career to win the D3 meet D3 national meet in the 1500. I think that like that, that was the moment where I was like, yeah, okay, I really like running. I want to, like, that That made me want to immediately start running again because I think I had taken two weeks off at that point, which is usually what I take in between seasons. And I was like, all right, when I get back from Wisconsin, back to New York, I'm starting it up again. Like, we're going to keep this going. So sorry about the pause. I'm pouring another beer here. <laughs> I think it's actually perfect for the transition to this. This is Coco Naughty Naughty from Westbrook. Uh, it is a uh, Imperial Stout aged in old Fitzgerald burn barrels for 24 months and infused with double the amount of toasted coconut, untoasted coconut, garden cocoa nibs, toasted almonds, and Madagascar vanilla. Man, you're you're great. allergic to almonds? Yeah, I am. I've had a different I've had a different coconut beer than from uh, from Westbrook. I think I've also I've had the Westbrook uh, Imperial Mexican Cake Stout, and that was pretty good too. But man, you're you're a you're you're a brave guy for solo doming that. Jeez. It's a, it's a small bottle. It's not a it's not a twenty two ouncer. It's a small <laughs> one. It's a fifteen. It's a um, little baby. It's early. Yeah, are little baby. Are you chugging it or are you gonna uh, sip it? Oh, that you I'm not chugging like that. I chugged the box wine. I I chugged the <laughs> box wine on one of the podcasts and it went to shit. Ugh. It was not pretty. Yeah, I had to had... re-record a lot of the end of it. We had our, like, our guests, and, like, at, I think it was, like, I think it was me and you, Brent, and Wyatt, and we were sitting here, like, on the pod, and Chris is, like, incoherent, just, like... He, like, couldn't get through anything. It was bad. He would say, like, he would be mid-sentence, and he would just change topic, and it would be, like, all slurred, and we were just, like, <laughs> what do we do? So I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, like, fin- like trying to finish my way through, like, a 16-ounce can of, like, a 9% white stout, and I'm, like... I'm like, you know, getting towards the end of it. I'm like, yeah, this is this is good. I'm I'm feeling fine up here at like a mile high. Like I'm I'm good. I'm good. Probably don't chug boxed wine. Port <laughs> port oh, um. yeah, no. My, my, mile high meaning 
5,280 5, feet, which I've actually checked topographic maps. My apartment is almost at, like, exactly one mile. <laughs> what is... Um... What exact? What is the exact altitude of your apartment? Right now, my watch says five thousand two hundred and ninety-six because we're on the second floor. But I'm pretty sure it's like almost exactly like five thousand two hundred eighty. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Who who would who would have known? Exactly a mile. I chose the right place to live, I guess. Forget the stadium. It's your apartment. That's where it's at. Exactly, exactly. I think Mile High Stadium might be a little bit under. I'm not sure, though. I think it is. I think it is because um, I, I ran the Colfax, the 10-miler there. Yeah. Um, and the 10-miler, like if you run the back half 10-miler, it takes you to right through the Broncos Stadium. And I remember trying to look at my elevation, um, and I was really disappointed to find that it was like slightly under a mile i was they, like why they, would you why they should really rename it the 1600 meter city like all the high school yeah. will get it anyway. <laughs> that's good <laughs> i'm gonna argue I'm, I'm gonna argue that the the brooks household has actually had more wins uh or more more uh done better on the uh the big stages than uh the broncos have <laughs> there we go Sorry, Marcus fans. Funny thing with relation to the Mile High City. One of my friends came um, came over and on on the plane ride was like talking or like overheard someone saying on the plane like, "Yeah, no, it's like Denver, the five mile high city." <laughs> I was like, "What? They think you like get off the plane and die from hypoxia? Like, like what do they think's gonna happen?" Here's here here's your oxygen tank. You got five minutes. You, you hop off the plane, get in the elevator that takes you up the next four miles. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there's a show on Netflix, and I can't remember what it's called, but there's a scene in it. It's like, it's it's a show about this guy who, like, goes to this massage parlor to, like, reinvent himself, and you find out early on that, like, they're just, like, making clones of you that are, like, new and improved, and, like, they keep doing it until they achieve perfection but like they they fuck it up and he's got a twin now and it's ridiculous but like now this conversation is making me think like what if they just like clone all of the broncos players like that and all the people that go to the games and like when you step off the plane you just die but like you'd never know that because you see people that are fake people in the stadium well anyway everybody it's because everybody's john elway everybody's john elway well, luckily, well, the, the, the joke. A mile high. John Elway and Terrell Davis. Well, the joke in the the joke in the show is that Tom Brady goes to the same place, so you know, it, it could happen. Oh shit! <laughs> Anyways, where, where 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 were we? What were we talking about originally? <laughs> I don't know. I feel really bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> you went way off course. Like I don't. It was else I know has seen the show. Even even for our standards, you <laughs> went well, of course. I just really want people to be cloned in my lifetime. Like I want to know what that's like, but also I kind of don't because I'm a little bit scared of people getting cloned and like having like evil twins out in the world. Like you have to deal with two of me. Yeah, never mind. So let's let's put that one back in the box. You're sure this wasn't like a dream and not a TV show. No, it was definitely a TV show. I actually, yeah, I actually know what she's talking about. I, I don't remember what the show is, but, but I've I've seen clips. Imagine seeing two of me, both drunk. 
Both incoherent, <laughs> asking questions. At, at yeah, Mile High Stadium. just wine drunk, just incoherently back and forthing off each other, just ping-ponging ideas. Just never-ending. <laughs> Beers and Miles, the Elite Files. This is Chris Gutierrez. I'm Chris Gutierrez. It's just back and forth. No me. No me for two hours. Catch it wherever you no, get yeah. your podcasts. Spotify, Apple, iTunes. <laughs> it's Tinder. Tinder. Uh, so, fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, back on track. Sorry. Yeah, back on track. on track. So, I get it. Sorry. I hate it. Sorry, I had to. What's, so, as a post-college, I mean, I think we all still kind of chase after these, uh, these track dreams. Yeah. Um, so actually, Brent, very, very good, very good on the, on the transition there. Um, but like, I think a lot of us still, I mean still chase those track dreams was that still the case right after watching your buddy uh win nationals yeah so i i watching him didn't really get me want to getting didn't really get me wanting to be back on the track like i just want i just wanted to run again i wanted to train again and i wanted to get fit and i think really like all that i felt with running was that i had not yet reached the level that i thought i was capable of and I think that was really like what what did it for me is I was just like I like I am not the runner like that I was in college. I I am capable of being better than that. But to start, I just wanted to no pressure, run a bunch of miles and see how that all went. And so the summer that after I graduated and I put graduated in air quotes because uh, I technically walked, but I still had student teaching to do the next semester. So I was back in Geneseo for another semester after that and then lived there for a while after because I just still loved it. But um, yeah, so that, that summer in July, I, th- I think that July is still the most miles I've ever ran in a, in a single month ever. Uh, I think that my, my weeks for that month were 110, 90, 110, 130. Uh, and, th- and that was literally just me being like, yeah, I just want to run. And so like, I was working some day camp job. I doubled every day before work or not, not every day, but like almost every day before work, after work, I did like a 27 mile long run one day, just cause I felt like it, like it was just, it was just running f- for the hell of it. And, uh, I found that I really, really liked running a lot of miles and that my body could handle it without getting too tired or getting injured. And that was kind of what I had always thought throughout college, but we were doing a lot of workouts in college. And so my coach always wanted to kind of err on the side of caution. And, you know, he let me hit a hundred once during like preseason, but he, he didn't like letting people go to triple digits because he thought that they were wanting to do it just to run triple digits, which at the time was probably true for me. Were you a high mileage guy in high school? Yeah. Ben, Ben had me running like 70 in like cross country. And I think I hit 81 once uh, in, in outdoor track too. Um, but he, he did, he did it in a way that was like very safe and like built up to it. And he'd always ask, he'd like literally ask me throughout the week, like, like, is this okay? Like, do you feel fine? So I was like getting mileage plans from Ben and then like workouts from my coach in high school. But then sometimes I'd also just ask Ben for a different workout. If I felt that the workout my coach was giving me was like too easy. So I was like kind of playing both sides a little bit. Like sometimes I'd do what my high school coach said. Sometimes I'd be like, 
hey, my future college coach told me to like maybe try out this workout, but really I meant that Ben told me, hey, try this out and try to pitch it to your high school coach and see what he thinks. You know, it's really funny, like during high school, it was, uh, I remember going through the California boards on Dystat and I saw that, uh, I think it was Renaud Poizot from, uh, from Arcadia ran like 80 miles a week, like his sophomore year, and he ended up being like a state level talent. So I was like, I think I need to do that my, the going into my senior year. So it was always like Dystat stuff. I was like, oh, these are what these guys are doing to get good. Cool. Yeah. I had always, I had always like just been obsessed with with running more miles and then i'd also always been obsessed with like running it like the idea of running at altitude and so you know finally just recently i was able to make that a reality too although it was so different from what i expected so at that point i mean you've been coached by somebody else for college your, your college coach um when did uh when did you when, when did you decide to uh for lack of a better bring the band back together <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I think it was once I like once I got back to Geneseo, I had decided that I wanted to do that. Um, I had just been running, and uh, every, every like Sunday, usually Sunday or Saturday, I'd go out for a long run with um, amazing runner and amazing person, uh, Anush Shahada. Um, she was like she went to the same high school as me but then left to go to the andover academy in massachusetts um she was third at Foot Locker as a junior so like insane ridiculous talent like when we when we ran long runs together like she would push the pace on me like we'd start running like 6:30s, like 11 miles in and then finish up at like 20 and she'd run like a 550 to like close it out like she was ridiculously insane yeah yeah, this and so she was pushing me on long runs, and on one of those long runs, she told me like, "Yeah, you're like really fit right now. You should you should run a race." And I was like, "I don't know. I'm just kind of running to run." But then she's like, "No, like like this isn't like a normal race. This is some like like crazy thing that's happening in New York City. Uh, like there's not even like a set course. You just like run through the open streets." And like they tell you like the the start point and the end point and you like make up your own route. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure, I'll I'll try it out. Why not? That would be fun. And then I ended up winning. Uh, and that like that like immediately lit the fire back up. That was like so so like such a cool moment. Uh, I and I literally. So is that mean? <laughs> so does that mean uh, Orchard Street Runner? Yeah. Enter stage runners. left. Yeah, the Orchard Street Runners. What did you say? said orchard street runners enter stage left right now pretty much yeah they they immediately like so can you can, can you describe what that is because like actually like that that was that's been one of the coolest things like there's been i've been wanting to do kind of a highlights thing of just like the big things during quarantine that were like yeah. highlights that kept you interested in running and orchard street was one of those things so tell tell the people what orchard street was yeah or is because that was like that was like, cool a pre, that was like a pre-quarantine thing for me even because like when i ran the osr 10k i think it was in 2018 which is crazy to think that's like you know coming up on being four years ago now but um I can try to describe it as best as I can, but like honestly, if you want to find out what it is, you have to run one of their races because it's just like the craziest thing ever. But basically, take New York City, 
turn it into a running playground and basically say, here are some points you need to run to, run to them, don't get hit by a car, try and be as safe as you can, but also try and run as fast as you can. And the first time I ever did one, I basically just asked someone before the race, hey, like, who are the fast people? And so they pointed some people and I'm like, okay, I guess I'll follow them and see what I can do. And I knew how like the last mile and a half of the race went. And so once I had gotten to that point, I was like, all right, I'm going to speed up and try and win it. And I still have the video saved on my computer somewhere, but like you literally see me running against traffic down like one of the avenues. I have to stop because a bus passes and like an MTA bus passes in front of me and just blocks me from being able to run. The guy who's in second place, David Kilgore, who another amazing human, another an amazing runner, catches up to me and we're like neck and neck and I just like book it down the final stretch, Ludlow Street to the finish line. And as I cross the finish line, they have these like, you know, uh, like Chinese dragon dancers like come in behind me and like I cross the line and they're like all these, you know, pro New York City photographers there. One of them catches a photo of me where the the finish line covers my shorts perfectly and everyone was shirtless so I took off my jersey too so it looks like I'm running through New York City naked with all these people taking photos of me with their phones and it was just like the coolest thing ever and I think at the time like I posted that picture on Instagram which again was taken by like this pro photographer where like he got like a couple thousand likes on it and like I got four times like the most social media points I'd ever gotten on a thing ever and I was like, this is so crazy. Like, what was this thing that, like, this person I ran with told me to do? And I went, yeah, sure, what the heck? That just, like, that ignited it for me again. Like, that was just like, okay, I'm back in it. I, like, told Ben, I was like, all right, we got to start training for something. That's so fucking awesome. Because, like, <laughs> I don't know, I, like, I think the biggest thing, like, the biggest barrier for most people post-college is like finding races and like the first thing people are going to say is like well why not run a marathon and like if you've been running competitively for all your life you probably heard that all the time and it's just like oh, oh yeah fucking want to run a marathon <laughs> yeah and it's like yeah but then you have these like underground races where it's just like wait i can just go like this this isn't the pressure isn't there to go and run on a five count on track no yeah. and it's like a it's not even a distance that it's like it's not even distance that's a uh, that I don't I care about. So like even if I don't run a quote unquote like a fast time at a distance, it's slow. It, we get to compete. Yeah, no, and when no one there knew who I was, like, and I didn't know anyone who like anyone who was there. Like I just I was like, oh, this is gonna be something fun and like silly that I can do, and uh, yeah, it was just like so cool and low pressure to be like just some guy who showed up in some pink shorts and some Nike lunar spiders who like, th and this was when the, the, this was when the vapor flies like first started to come around. So I was literally some guy wearing shoes from like 2008 while everyone was wearing like the, the first model of the 4%. And like, I, I just like showed up. And so no one thought like twice about me. And it was, it was so great. Like I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Oh, the lunar spot. Yeah. I have the, I have the black and white camo ones, which I bought from someone on track talk. <laughs> yeah, these are, I, uh, lunar spiders are probably my favorite racing flight yeah. of all time. It, Cause it is the, uh, the Japanese 
Katana bottom. They are the, they are the, it's amazing. The lunar, I won that race in the Lunar Spider R's. No number. Lunar Spider R. Oh. <laughs> I, I had two pairs of uh, Lunar uh, Lunar Speeds from Japan. Yeah. Uh, and I gave one of them to one of my uh, my high school kids great, for, uh, great as, shoe. A, as a camp great counselor. Shoe. I great tried shoe. running a half marathon yeah. in them early on and then was like, wow, that was a terrible idea. You're a fucking maniac. <laughs> yeah, I ran the oak. Tree, I ran the oak tree half in them. It went terrible. It was also like eighty something degrees and like a million percent humidity, so it didn't go well. So two things happen right around. That, so two things happen right around that time. You go back to. Well, I don't know about the second thing I'm gonna mention, but you go back to um, go back to getting coached by by Walk, but yep. Lost Boys. So like I've I've heard of I've heard of them. Through, like, as soon as I moved to Ohio, like, everybody, like, all the guys that I trained with, like, were throwing the L up, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. So, so like, that was, how did you that, kind of become a little bit of a poster child for that, too? That was, that wasn't, that was, like, pre-Lost Boys still, but that was how I met Tim Rossi in person. Uh, I met him at that Orchard Street Runners uh, race, but I, I wasn't even, like, really affiliated with them until like a like a while later and it was just it was literally just like me and tim like texting or talking in dms or whatever and just asking each other how stuff was going and like as as stuff continued to happen and whatnot he was just like yeah man like you're out there doing your thing and like that's kind of just what we're about like you know you're you, you like <laughs> you like literally you're not like not even close to being sponsored you're not even part of a club and like I didn't want to be part of a club unless they like represented something that I was like passionate about or like or if it was a bunch of my friends because I had like upstate New York running clubs and even some New York City running clubs which was funny because I didn't even live in New York City contacting me asking to like run for them but I was like I don't know like I'm just running's always just been this thing that like I do for fun as like a you know like a, a hobby to to whatever I'm like working on at the time uh, and. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just didn't want to join anyone that I didn't feel like I was actually invested in. So for yeah, for for a while I would run in the the Geneseo um, the Geneseo alumni uniform, and then I did run in in the OSR uniform. But yeah, then I, I was running in the Lost Boys uniform for a bit too. But uh, yeah, it was it was really just a, a process of like just talking with Tim and and having him be you know a constant source of encouragement for me. And then eventually he's like, yeah, let me send, let me send you some stuff. Like you, you've earned it. Let me send you some stuff. So can we, I mean, I still don't fully understand because I haven't searched it too much. I should have, but, uh, can you, can you tell the listeners what is the Lost Boys? So what I'll say is this, uh, every member or, you know, anyone who is affiliated with them in any sense has their own idea of what being lost is and that's kind of like you know what our whole thing is and you know if i had to kind of you know give someone a definition that applies more broadly to the whole thing i would say that um you know the lost boys obviously influenced by the whole peter pan thing you know they're the lost boys i get that i get asked that often because i i have like this bracelet that says lost boys on it and some people ask if it's Peter Pan, or some some people have told me about like the Lost Boys of Sudan, which is like another thing. But 
pretty much everyone who's a part of it has their different idea of like what Lost is or what being part of the Lost Boys is. is. And I had I got put on it on the spot in a different podcast when they asked me like what is being Lost, what is Lost Boys, and I stand by what I said, which is that being Lost is doing something that you love for no other reason than doing it because you love it, even if you have no clue what's going on or where you're going or anything, you just know that you love what you're doing and that's reason enough to keep doing it. And of course we take it specifically with running. I mean, that's, uh, I don't know, it, 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 rings, it, rings, it rings true to me and it rings probably rings true to a lot of people that are still doing this, Definitely. still competing. Yeah. So. I mean, I was, just, I was just some guy out running in the town that I graduated from college with, just still running the same runs that I had always loved running while I was in college and doing it with, you know, maybe a bit of a goal in mind, but really for no reason other than, you know, after work, there was nothing I wanted to do more than go out and go for a run most days. So let's start talking about uh, the lead up. So yeah. there's a couple steps on the way there. So your first half marathon. So now we're hitting the roads. We're, uh, how did, what was your first half marathon? How did it go? Uh, so the first half marathon I ran was in Syracuse, which is only about like an hour 30 to the northeast of Geneseo. Uh, you know, you go up to Rochester and then you take 90 over towards Syracuse. Uh, part of the reason I did it was because it was close by, it seemed like a fun route, and I had a couple other people who did it with me. And we knew that if we won the race as a team, because you could actually run it as a half marathon, like cross country team. Uh, and if, if, if you had the highest or the lowest team score, best team score, you won free entry to this like Ragnar style relay race. So we were actually mainly doing it for that. But I knew that like if I wanted to do it, I wanted to take it seriously and I wanted to actually train for it. So that was basically what I told Ben uh, my goal was going to be. Uh, and so I broke down, I bought my, my, uh, myself a pair of Vaporflies. Cause I, 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 and it's actually funny, for a while I was a huge Vaporfly skeptic. I was one of the people who were like, it's not the shoes, the shoes have no different, like no. And you can see, there, you can see my posts on Track Talk of me saying, I like I don't think the vapor flies are the real deal. Um, it took me a long time to do the same. because well, I'm like I've been wearing spikes from the Desaris. Yeah, like yeah, there's exactly, nothing better exactly. than the Desaris. No, I was I was like this is all hype. Like Kipchoge is just a freak. But I, I I remember I put a pair on. I ran a 10 mile time trial and I was like oh my god this is like I'm running on the Boston University track but on the roads. Like this is ridiculous. Like nothing has ever compared to this in my life. So yeah, so I, I went out and uh, I, I mean I shouldn't just say I went out and ran it. Uh, like Ben Ben gave me a specific marath half marathon training plan. I was running like anywhere from ninety to one hundred and ten miles per week, doing more you know longer distance specific workouts. And uh, you know come that half marathon, I was pretty confident that I was in some good shape. And so me and two other guys from Geneseo, shout out uh, Matt, Matthew Herbert, shout out Alex Kramer. Uh, we stayed in Kramer's apartment. I slept on a camping mat the night before, uh, and then we went out and ran the half the next day, and uh, we just packed it up for as long as we could. It came down to a battle between me and Matt. Uh, I ran my <laughs> I ran my ninth mile in a 4:48 downhill, 
and then had me and him had the most miserable and pathetic battle the last 5k just like constantly surging slightly ahead of one another i say pathetic we were still running like 515s for the last three miles but like after that mile we were just we were toast uh but yeah and i yeah, essentially in, in 67 <laughs> yeah so essentially like you were you were the uh 300 hurdler that had the last the first time three 400 hurdler like yeah, freshman yeah, 400 hurdler that just like went through 300 and it's just like <laughs> trying to finish that I, I off run a t- i run a 10 mile time trial and i kind of like turned it on the last like four or five miles of that or something so i was like the half marathon's gonna be the same thing but I didn't realize that, you know, those three extra miles or three more miles that you're burning through your fuel sources. And I didn't fuel at all for my first half. Like, I didn't do anything. I didn't even take water from the water stations. Like, I just ran it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the last three miles we were suffering. But, yeah, I crossed in, in 6707, which was, like, my original goal was just, like, you know, run somewhere between 69 and 68. And uh, he finished like six seconds behind me in 67.13, which was even more insane for him because he didn't even think he was in like good shape. And then, yeah, the third guy came in just in under 68.2. And uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was like so cool. And I, I was just like, okay, maybe the longer distances are kind of my thing because 67 flat is like not too shabby for your first half marathon ever. That's actually, that's really funny. Like, uh, the fueling thing was the same thing that I did in my first marath- half marathon. I texted Zach and he's like, wait, you didn't fuel? I'm like, no, it's fucking 13 miles. Yeah, it's like, 13 miles. What are you talking what about? We don't need a fuel. We don't need a fuel. Yeah. It's like, he's like, dude, you should have fueled. <laughs> exactly. You're yeah. like, you're fine. And he's like, no, you should have fueled. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that might have been by the, like, I, I the do, last I few miles. my first marathon at least. I did. I did take some. Gels. There we go. I just. I only took gels. I didn't know Martin was the thing at the time. So we have we have a like a couple like bullet points, but like the Syracuse half was on there, yeah. and I didn't know that was your first half marathon. I didn't want to first, assume that yeah. that was your no, first half, I mean, half marathon. Technically, I ran the Oak Tree half marathon, which is this local half in Geneseo that has like 500 feet of elevation gain, all in like a single mile or so. Actually, it might be more than that. But like that was the one where I ran like I ran like in lunar spiders and like also didn't fuel, but it was like 85 degrees, so I ran it in like 76 minutes or something. But it was like meant to kind of be a workout too. It was just a really not fun workout. Uh, so I, I don't really count that one as the first half. So Brooks doesn't. Uh, Brooks continues to stay winning because this is a, another thing that's on our list here. Uh, the winner of the 2019 Wine Glass Marathon, Alexander Brooks from the Smithsonian Photo Contest, Smithsonian Magazine. Talk about the uh, the Wine Glass Marathon. You're you're uh, you changed the di- well first. At that point, like your decision to become a marathoner. And then the marathon itself. Yeah, so it was it was kind of like a weird thing because after the Syracuse half, that was like my end of the season race. Didn't really race much in the winter. I think I did like a pacing job for some guys or something like that. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of messing around. Um, but sometime during the winter, uh, training just started going like really poorly for me. Like, I just, I was not doing well in workouts or anything. Couldn't figure out why. 
got blood tested, everything pretty much came back normal. Uh, took two weeks off, still felt terrible coming back. And, uh, you know, sometime around there, uh, I was, I went on a trip to Iceland with my dad, which was like my graduation present was this like really, really cool trip. It was, it's still the greatest trip I've ever been on. I don't know if it'll ever be topped, but, uh, during that trip, I would go out for runs in the morning. Cause obviously I'm in a new place. What are you going to do other than run there? You know? <laughs> but, uh, I, I still felt bad on runs and that was after I'd taken my two weeks off and my dad is, is a, a pediatrician and he was like, all right, like come over. Like he put me, his head against my chest. He's like, take a deep breath. And so I went and he was like, oh, you have asthma. And like, I, to be clear, I didn't have it while I was in college. For some reason, when I hit like 22 to 23 years old, my body's like, all right, we give up. Your lungs are terrible now. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, it's not very common, but it does happen. Because I had had terrible pollen and dust allergies as a kid, and my dad was baffled that I was never asthmatic. But eventually, it just it popped up. So I, Birds... Yeah. Some people, some people have uh, late onset facial hair. Some people have late onset asthma. Yeah, well, not, I'm, I'm, st I'm still waiting for the facial hair to like really start to fill in because anytime I try to grow a beard, I just end up looking like a high schooler trying to grow a beard. But uh, I was yeah. gonna say, I, I actually, I actually ended up developing asthma when I was in like fifth grade. So I mean, not not quite as late as you, obviously, yeah. but. Um, I, I ended up getting pneumonia when I was when I was oh, young, geez, yeah, and no. it it just led into me having asthma. And still to this day, it, it's more seasonal for me. So like when it transitions to cold or warm, like I I have issues, like and yeah, I feel oh, like garbage. Totally. Like, like like you mentioned, I I feel like garbage for like two weeks. Like doesn't matter how well I felt before it, but like once it hits, it's just two weeks of just absolutely pathetic running. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, so hey, I don't it was, to be out here doing this. It sucks. It was so bad. I mean, I just, I hate it. I was, I was like, why do I suck so much? And, and, and like, I truly mean like I would go out and run and try to do like a tempo workout and I would fail like, like a mile in. I was just like, why am I so trash? And, uh, and then I remember, so, so I, I got prescribed, uh, albuterol. And I remember the first day I took it in, I went out and I was like, oh my God, I haven't breathed in like, like six months. Like I haven't been able to take a full deep breath in so long. And so that summer of training was just like the most wonderful, like freeing thing ever. So I was just, I was so happy running because I could finally run well again. And uh, so yeah, I, I decided, all right, I'm going to do another half marathon. And uh, I, I wanted to do one that was reasonably close by because I, you know, I, was, I was just starting actually teaching as a job at that point. Um, you know, during the Syracuse half, I was actually doing my student teaching, which kind of makes running 110 miles a week even more ridiculous than it would be normally. Is that I, was, I was literally teaching for the first time ever. So I was doing nothing other than teaching ed TPA and, uh, and running. But anyways, um, so yeah, so leading into the, the wine glass, I want to do the half marathon. So I sent them an email saying like, hey, I ran this time at the Syracuse half, you know, can I enter the wine glass half marathon as an elite? And they said, no, but not because you're not fast enough, 
but because we don't have any more half marathon elite bibs left. But you could run the marathon if you wanted to. We still have bibs for that. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Sure. Okay. And, and there is a little bit more logic to it than that, because remember I had mentioned that because of the Syracuse half, we won free entry to that relay race. And at that relay race, I ended up running a total of 31.8 miles or so, split between like five legs over the course of 23 hours. But my average pace for those legs was 529 per mile. So I figured if I can run, you know, 31 miles split up over a couple, like, you know, a day at that average pace, I can probably do pretty well in a marathon. So, yeah, we, we started training for that marathon. And when I say we, I mean, Ben gave me all the necessary stuff to, you know, workouts and whatnot to train for it. And uh, me being, you know, the overambitious idiot that I always can manage to be in races, I was like, you know what? I feel pretty good. I'm going to try and qualify for the trials. So I went out in an hour, nine minutes, seven seconds. And as is the story with so many people's first marathon, that was way too quick. And uh, I shouldn't say way too quick because I'd still managed to run the second half in 74. So I did. I ran my first marathon in 223, uh, 223.47. Uh, and uh, I, it was still good enough to win. It was my first, you know, big marathon ever, and uh, I got to meet Meb Kofleski at the finish line. He was just waiting there. I got to, like, you know, tell him about how when I was in high school, I uh, had a laptop out in class throughout the day on the day he ran the Boston Marathon, so it was on a Monday. So I was in school watching him run the Boston Marathon on my laptop, and if a teacher came over to me and said... Uh, like, why are you watching this? I'd say, you can send me to the principal's office if you want, but I want to watch this because an American might win Boston. So I got to tell him that in person after I'd finished my first marathon ever, which was so cool. I love that so much. And he thought that story was so funny. Um, and yeah, and they gave me a, a three liter bottle of champagne too as winning, which was also pretty cool. So yeah, it was just all around like the coolest thing I could have possibly imagined for my first uh, marathon, shy of qualifying for Olympic trials. <laughs> That is the most painful second half, and I can only imagine because like I, well, Keen's um, Keen's full uh, PR full lead up for his wine glass, and she told me that there's a bunch of turns at the end. So I could only imagine like you're you're struggling at the end after going out in like 69 point, and like and then you got just the dirt in it yeah man oh it, there's yeah there's there's all these like turns that you go through and like every straight i thought i thought was like this is the final straight it has to be this is the final straight like like running like six flats to like six thirties at this point and then like after running five fifteens for most of it it's like this has to be then but yeah it, it, it while it was tough it was still just like so much fun because by that point i had built up like such a big lead that i could just kind of like you know soak it all in for the end bit of it but i was still really happy when i finally crossed the line i like did not i was not expecting those turns at all like i looked at the course on a map and it really looks like it's just a to b and so it looks it looks like a straight line yeah they're yeah. like so sharp and short at the end and i was like what is going on like where are we going like and it was like the last oh, like yeah. four miles you're just turning and turning and turning and 
And no matter how flat that bridge into Corning is, it still feels like a hill if you're dying with oh, like yeah. a, a kilometer to go. Yeah, my race pictures yeah. on that no, there's, bridge there's, were just horrific. I was like, oh my god. There's, there's, <laughs> And well, that's and that's that's one of the main places they take pictures too. Yeah. So there are some pictures of me looking like <laughs> over the bridge, just like. Uh, oh my god. Yeah, yeah. It was it was fun though. It was, it was it, yeah. It was, it was such a good time. And just seeing Meb at the end was just like the coolest thing ever. And Meb like posted on his Instagram story ever like or later like like Alex Burks runs his first marathon ever and wins it. And I was like. Ah! Oh my god, that's so awesome. Cool. Fanboying so hard. I ran like right into his arms at the end. Like I just saw him and I was oh, so yeah. excited and gave him a big hug and I was like not expecting to see him right there. Like it was so cool. Yeah, and it's so it's so nice too when you meet a person like him who's, you know, so decorated and accomplished and he's just like like he just legitimately looks happy to like see you at the finish line. He's just like the nicest, most genuine guy ever. Yeah, he's so down to earth. Awesome. Yeah. So the question is now, um, it's not about running because, like, you know, fuck running. Um, it's about the bottle. What did you do with that three-liter bottle? Can I? How do I phrase this to to not get in? Because because keep in mind, I'm I'm technically you know at the time a middle school teacher. So I will I will say this as vaguely as possible so that the people involved know, but also so that I have plausible deniability. But some of my Geneseo friends had a good accomplishment with their running season, which may have coincided with that particular season ending that may generally involve champagne in some fashion that I brought to them and shared with them. And that bottle now resides at the, the house that I lived in in college. And apparently they've tried to break it many times, but simply cannot because it's about two inches thick of glass. You know, when they say it's a wine glass, it's a wine glass. It, well, and it's made by Corning, too, who make, like, Gorilla Glass and, like, all of the strongest bulletproof glasses in the world. So I don't know what they made it out of, but it might as well be adamantium because they've thrown it off the roof of the house onto straight concrete, and it's just chipped a little. It didn't even, it didn't shatter. I mean, like, think about how much pressure you have to contain of three liters of champagne like we were worried when we popped the cork that it was going to go through the roof of the house and like reasonably so like it could have made a dent for like like for all we would have known jesus christ it hit it hit the ceiling when we uh, popped it it made a it made like a like a crazy it sounded like a gunshot like three liters <sighs> that's a lot you should just you got you to point it. You got to point it. Yeah, yeah. You got to point it. And if you turn to the side, it's kill shot. Exactly, yeah. So we were like, well, it would be a better story if it broke a hole in the ceiling. So oh, Broke a hole in the wall? That's a hole in the wall story. Yeah, exactly. Well, we had, I think, we had uh, plenty of hole in the wall stories to start with, so we didn't need another one. Hole <laughs> in the ceiling would be way funnier. Oh, yeah. So we go forward, and uh, we got three big races to talk about here to finish this up. Um, somebody's going on Reddit and they see a, uh, a race recap 
And race recap, the race report is Trials of Miles, Project 13.1, one of those magical days. Yeah, and, that's, and that was where it all started, right? <laughs> so, to give some kind of context to it, this is pretty much that it's the first year of quarantine. Yeah. Yeah, so I had I had a like a whole racing schedule set out for 2020 and uh literally the first race that I was going to run, I believe was on May 18th. It was the Rochester Running of the Green. It was a 5-mile race. I think the other races I had on deck was I was going to run the Bucknell 10K again, try and run a new 10K PR and um and then I was going to finish it off with the Scranton Half Marathon because Geneseo was only just a couple miles north of Scranton. So it seemed like a good, flat, fast course to run on. Uh, but obviously, all, none of that happened. And uh, this is where Orchard Street Runners actually entered back into the picture for a little bit because they held this global challenge where they were just saying, any course you want to run, run it with GPS. It can be as you could be downhill, it can be flat, it can be on a track, whatever you want, just run it and run it as fast as you can. And so I actually ran a downhill half in like 65 flat, and most notably a downhill mile in four or 343. Uh, it was a 513 foot downhill, and it put my quads out of commission for almost a week and ended my season a week later when I could no longer properly train. It was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life, and I would not recommend anyone ever do it ever. <laughs> Wait, Burks, you were, were you that guy that was just like doing a bunch of dumb fucking like really really yeah. downhill runs? Yeah, oh, I, I got, I, it got it got it got retweeted by Chris Chavez, I think, where it was like, what's like what's the craziest thing you've seen during quarantine? And one of them was some dude who ran a marathon in his living room, but like had a GPS running for it. And then the other one was me running a 3:43 mile down the biggest hill I could find in upstate New York. Um, so yeah, so if, if you saw that, that was me. Jeez. <laughs> so you, you get into, so you finally find a race Yeah. at one point? So, yeah, so, so, so at wall, so we were starting back up the school year, like kind of as best as we could going like hybrid, like half in person, half at home to try and social distance the kids and everything. And Basically, after my, uh, I guess I should rewind a little bit. After I ran those really, really stupid, dumb races that, again, I cannot express enough, no one do that. Like, there, it is a miracle that I did not get so severely injured that I can never run again. Uh, I, t I took my time off like I normally do, got back into running, and it was like, well... I'm not really working much right now because my school couldn't really go all virtual because we were so rural. And I had a couple guys from Geneseo that were, um, you know, still on the college team, but were just deciding to stay in Geneseo for the time. And so we said, okay, let's make our own little bubble. We only interact with the four of us and we just run every morning together for as long as possible. So like for five months, it was just nothing but like running and training. Uh, and I, I would do like, you know, just 115 mile weeks on repeat with down weeks being like 85 to 90 and six. Uh, and yeah, eventually it got to the point where I was like, all right, you know, eventually races are going to start happening again. And come October, the 
um, awesome group of dudes, the uh, Trials and Miles guys, um, decided that they were going to host this, uh, this race on like Randall's Island in New York. And I still have, my, my family still lives downstate, pretty close to New York City. So I decided, all right, you know what, this will be a good opportunity. I'll get tested, I'll head down there, and I'll take part in this race. And everyone in the race had to be tested, so it seemed reasonably safe to me. I got tested when I went down there, I got tested when I came back. Um, but yeah, I ran a 10K down on Randall's Island, um, where I'd watched the you know Adidas Grand Prix for a couple of years, uh, which was super, super cool. And I actually ran a PR there, I think I ran like 30-32. But... Uh, a couple weeks later, I got an email from them since I had raced in that about uh, this half marathon that they were holding also in downstate New York, Rockland County, um, called Project 13.1, where they were going to have a bunch of guys get together who were reasonably, you know, pretty fast, and they were just going to run a half marathon and go for it. And uh, it was kind of to be there both as a way for, you know, us to get that uh, together and run 13.1 uh, fast but also for the guys who were training for, at the time, the marathon project to kind of get a half marathon tune-up at a good point out from when the marathon project was going to be. So yeah, I, I just showed up to that, showed up with very little expectations despite, you know, just training as hard as I possibly could. And basically the strategy was, you know, go out a little conservative, like a little bit, you know, around your PR pace, maybe a little bit faster and work up as needed. And I think if I if I look back at my uh, my 5K splits for that, which I can actually do uh, pretty quickly because it's right on my Strava profile, uh, I think that like I started off with a 5K that was somewhere around like 16 minutes, and then my fastest 5K, which was the last one, was pretty close to 15 flat. <laughs> so yeah, I just I just kind of picked it up throughout. Yeah, first 5K was right around 16 flat next 5k was 15:40. next 5k was um around 15 30 and then the last 5k was like 15 flat and so i was just like picking it up as i went along just faster and faster each time and yeah by the end it was just like i was just running faster than i possibly could imagine that i would run a 10k uh, like I, ran, I think I ran a, my 10k PR I think is now technically from that race I think I ran my last 10k in like like 30 20 high or something like that so yeah it's just crazy wow and at that point that was like kind of where like I saw like all, all like all of your posting I was like oh shit this is a that's that's uh, that's big boy timing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I I posted on Reddit before just because like Track Talk was kind of like a little bit dead at that point, and so I just wanted another you know social space where I could talk about running with people, and uh, like without sounding like too conceited, like when when I was posting on Track Talk in those places, I was always super interested in reading like what the fast people were doing and what they thought about during their races and like thoughts were about their races so like in my mind like that time was good enough where like high school me would have been super excited to read something yeah. about someone who had ran that time and i was like i need to make sure i do this i need to give back to the community and all that stuff and it's also just fun it's fun to to recap your races and do stuff like that yeah absolutely and uh going off of that i mean 
It didn't go straight to another marathon. I have to. I have to talk about this. Yeah. Orchard Street Thirty. Let me get to that in just a moment. I'm just gonna get up real quick, and I'll be right back. You can cut this part out. Okay. Cool. That is the chair. Brent. That's a. Brent is a chair. It's a chair. Look at this chair right here. Do you guys see this chair? chair. I can see like three sections through this chair. It's it's a good chair. You know, Machka, Machka, now that I, I know that it's from chair. Ikea, it just seems Machka, more like... They're good chairs, Brant. They're good chairs. You know, you know. now that I know it's from Ikea, it's like I feel like it's 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 blue collar. Like it's the Everman's chair. I've, no, I feel like it's got like a like an ethnic vibe. Like it's got like a... It, it feels really like Swedish to me. It's like, it looks like it's... Hip- Talking have you ever in seen, Swedish. Have you ever seen such a chair? Me. <laughs> Part of me wants to keep this in. So, all right, our thirty, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, for, so for the OSR thirty. So, um, in twenty nineteen, I had done another installment of their ten k. Except that that one didn't go quite as well for me because the format was a little different than it was before. They didn't run the same course or anything like that. And the course setup was such that um, you were given a series of checkpoints and could run them in any order, but you also didn't know the checkpoints until 10 minutes before the race started. So for someone who doesn't live in New York City, that was a lot more difficult for me. And was probably done by design to give a little bit more of an advantage to the people who actually lived in the New York City area. So I've been talking with the race director, uh, Joe Donato, who another amazing human who, uh, you know, has had a bit, big impact on, you know, that I ended up getting back into running really heavily again. Um, he was talking with me and he, he had mentioned that, like, you know, the OSR 30 would probably be a good one for me to run. And it would probably be good because the course, you get the checkpoints in advance, so you can plan out your course, and you get a bike escort with you while you're doing it too. So I found a guy to be my bike escort. Uh, he planned out the route and everything, had it all had it all ready. And so I just needed to show up on race day and follow him around. And uh, for that, I was mainly treating it as like a you know really solid training run. Um, you know, we'd, we'd try and obviously win it, but the goal was to get, you know, it was going to be 30 to 32 miles. So I wanted to, you know, take it a little easier at the start. And then if I felt good at the end, maybe work in a little bit of marathon pace. Um, cause I figured that I was going to end up running a marathon at some point that season. Uh, and I still didn't have anyone planned at that point. So went out, was cutting 545 to like six flat for a lot of the beginning of it, which for a 32 mile race is like solid pace already. Um, Hit all the checkpoints, no problem. It was a beautiful weather day too. Uh, I, I say beautiful, but it was like it was like foggy and like it wasn't too cold for it. I think it was because it was like late March, wasn't too cold, um, and everything was going off without a hitch. And like I felt great the whole way. And then somewhere around um, somewhere around uh, you know like mile twenty six, twenty seven or so, um, I just started to you know, go on a tear. I started, I literally started dropping like five fifteens, like 27 miles into this 32 mile race. 
and uh, and I and I knew that like I had won by this point because I had seen the other people that were like going to potentially be in the running for first on my way out and back off the George Washington Bridge, and I I crossed the finish area and you know like did the hand raise like yeah I won I did this and the race director was like yeah you got disqualified you didn't hit one of the checkpoints right and I was like what. And it turns out that they had given us a picture of a phone booth on the George Washington Bridge, and we went to the wrong phone booth. The right phone booth was like 200 meters further down the George Washington Bridge out and back. And in the moment, I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, I just ran 32 miles, you tell me right now, as I finished, thinking I won. And I won this thing by like, like 15 minutes time-wise. Like, it wasn't even, like, if he had told me a mile after I had left the George Washington Bridge, I could have gone back a mile, hit the right checkpoint, and still probably won the whole thing. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, like, and no hard feelings, because, like, it's his, it's his race, it's his rules, I didn't hit the right checkpoint. He did give GPS coordinates for it, so we just didn't go to the right point. We just thought it was a different phone booth on the George Washington Bridge. Uh, but, like, for however weird of a way to, like, lose a race like that was oh and second place also hit the the wrong phone booth which was again david kilgore the guy who finished right behind me in the 2018 10k um so like both of us hit the wrong checkpoint so third place ended up third place i put in air quotes because he was first place of course but he ended up winning uh he had so what 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 kind of prize did you lose out on oh like because if there was like a hundred bucks and some bragging rights Okay, I was gonna say because if there was like a legit monetary, like, <laughs> I would have been living. I was. I would have been absolutely living. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I let, I let, I let the guy know that I was still like kind of pissed about it, but like, I. Yeah, I, I mean, you went like your 29th mile was like a five ten. It, it was something. It was like yeah. Don't make so, so, uh, check-ins just the also, random goddamn phone uh, booth. Yeah. <laughs> There's maybe, okay, so there's actually, like, maybe 30 people that watch this live stream. I was watching the live stream that entire morning, yeah. and it was also one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen. Burks, I don't know if you've actually watched that live stream. The live stream is hilarious, because the person that's on the lead bike, he, so the person that's on the lead bike is on, like, some kind of, like, he has his phone out, and he's riding his bike, following the leader, as the leader's jumping over, like, like barriers and going through moving through but then the fucking bike blows a tire yeah and he's he's just like kind of like he he's still on instagram live and it's like i just blew a tire yeah, like his phone and so what does the guy do through. like there's all well like before that yeah. before that he's like well my 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 tire just blew and he still keeps running on the rim it was just the most insane thing to just watch it's like this guy just like keeps going riding on the rim phone dies gets even more and uh and just like gets more charged on his phone and it goes from there it was awesome it's absolutely awesome um i think i became a bigger fan of burks because of that than i did from the from the uh the half marathon at that point <laughs> but that also is that's not that far off from your uh that's also 
not that far off from your uh, your marathon. It was like break. It was like, that was pretty close. It was like a two like my fastest marathon split during that was like a two twenty nine or something like that. And yeah, my PR was like a two twenty three. Yeah. So I so yeah, I knew that but I, how... I'd ran a two twenty nine plus six more miles. How how many weeks was that before your uh, your marathon? It was like six, I think. And and it, and it oh, but like, shit. so but like it, it felt legitimately like a really hard training run. Like I went out the next morning and I ran like like eight miles with some some people in Marinette who were like still on the high school team there. And so like I knew that I was like in I, I knew I was in like really good shape. Like I I knew I was in without any doubt in my mind marathon PR shape. And I talked to Ben and Ben said I think we'll have you ready to run a good marathon PR in like six weeks. So I looked around, tried to find whatever I could, because you know races were starting to sort of become mm-hmm. a thing that was happening there. And um, I found that uh, McCurdy Trained was putting on a small little marathon, which they literally called a micro marathon, because the field was like like 50 people or less. So it was it was like this tiny little field size. But it was in Rockland Lake State Park where Project 13.1 had happened. So I knew it was this pancake flat, like 3.1 mile loop that I could go out and just like turn my brain off and run a marathon on. And so that was our goal. Like that was the goal race. It was just go out there and I wanted to run and Ben thought I was capable of running around 218. So that was kind of the pace that we set out to run there. And we basically took it exactly the same as uh, as wine glass, where like the goal was going to be go out and like you know like sixty nine flat, like an hour nine minutes flat. Um, really funny thing about that though was that uh, Ben decided to come because I didn't have I they I'd asked if there was gonna be like a bike pacer or something, so I knew I was gonna be the fastest person by like a large margin in that race. So like John McCurry just told me that in the first place, like I was gonna be the fastest one there. And so Ben drove from Oberlin, Ohio, which is like, you know, six or seven hours away. Like literally he finished practice on like a Saturday night or something, drove like overnight, slept an hour at a gas station and then showed up at the course and I had a bike ready for him. And the picture from it's amazing too, because he's riding my like Trek cross bike, wearing my girlfriend Leah's pink skating helmet and like it's just so funny and i'm just there you know in my kit running my marathon so that was like awesome having him there on the bike like my coach is there you know pacing me and able to like give me feedback and whatnot so yeah so we so race day comes along he shows up on time i've got the bike there with me um my my girlfriend and my dad are there to pass out bottles to me. So every lap they'll hand me off a bottle and every lap's about 5K, so it works out perfectly. They actually show up a little bit late, so I miss my first bottle and don't get my first bottle until like five miles in, but whatever, it's fine. Um, and so yeah, so I, I go through right on cue in like an hour, nine minutes through the half, pretty much on the dot. And uh, I feel great. I'm like, yeah, this feels really good. And uh, I'm, I'm talking with Ben, like, while this is happening. And I say to him, I'm like, all right, we're through 13s in, like, an hour, nine minutes. 
no big moves until 18 mile or until 20 miles no big moves until 20 miles in no big moves till six miles to go and the pace starts dropping a little bit <laughs> like i start instead of running, so, yeah so brooks you you're uh you're not doing your pacing like typical people do yeah it's not by miles you're doing it by k's oh yeah yeah right? well, I, I i had done i had tried this as a thing at the the project 13.1 too because i hadn't uh i i didn't think i wasn't confident in what shape i was in so i put i switched my my watch to kilometers uh because i didn't want to like be intimidated by the numbers that i was seeing on my watch so I said, okay, let me switch it to kilometers, and that way I won't actually really know what the pace means. So if I see 315, that'll be less intimidating than seeing 512 for the mile. Um, so yeah, so I start to look at my watch, and I'm seeing the kilometer times tick down, and they're starting to get to like 312, 311. And I keep looking over to Ben, and... I'm, and and every time, every time like we pass by like a mark or something, I'm like, all right, a couple more miles to go. Still no big, no, no big moves until 20. No big moves, moves until 20. By the time mile 20 hits, like there have been points in there where I've run like a 309k, which is getting close to like five flat per mile pace. And I think at one point I do hit like a five flat or 501 mile. Like with the, so six miles to go, I say the same thing. I'm like, we're just maintaining. We're not speeding up. I literally am running like 307 like per K for some of my Ks now, which is like so much faster than I should have been going. And But at this point, people who are watching this race, like they knew I was going out trying to run fast. But at this point during the race, they're like, you know, you're on like 316 or 216 pace, right? And in my mind, I'm just like, no, I'm not. I'm just not. I'm not running that pace. That's not true. That's not happening. Um... But all of a sudden, you know, we passed through 20 miles and I hit 20 miles in like, you know, an hour and 44 minutes. And I'm doing the math in my head and I'm like, oh, I am on pace to like run. And like it starts to sink in a bit then. And from there, it's like, OK, it's the goal is actually just hold pace at this point. And yeah, I go through with one mile to go. And I think technically the, the laps are actually like 2.97 miles because I did like 8.9 of them. And so I look at the clock and I see like, I need to run like 5.12 pace, like 5.10 pace per mile. And I might have a shot at running under 2.17. And I'm just like, okay, hold it together. Like just hold it together. Don't don't think about anything other than putting one foot in front of the other and not slowing down and those last two miles are just like a blur and all i can all i'm doing is concentrating on like running my straight lines running my tangents and ben's voice telling me like you are actualizing you are actualizing your goal you are running like as good as you could possibly run like you are another good mile, another good K. And yeah, it just got to the point where I was like, like, oh my God, like, you know, two kilometers to go. I just need to run these two kilometers in under like 630 and I'll have run under 217. And I see the clock as it's counting down. And yeah, I just, I, I crossed the line. I saw like somewhere around, I saw 216.5 and then something like right before I crossed it. And it was just like the 
craziest thing. It like I my mind couldn't like process it in that moment. And I had been trying so hard to just like mentally keep it together up until that point. And like literally in my head, I'm like, just don't start crying. Like, like, don't like, don't let this moment get to you emotionally that once I finally, you know, cross the cross the line, I'm just like, I, I couldn't hold it together anymore. And so I just literally started like I just I just started sobbing. I just like fell on the floor and just like sobbing. And they got so many great pictures of it too. They captured the moment so perfectly. Uh, but yeah, it was just like the most emotional I had ever been in a happy way after a race. Again, besides maybe like one of those Tuniac races. It was just like the most amazing thing. You muted. Brent, did you have something to say on that? I think you went off. Uh... No, I, I mean, the only thing that I'm always curious about is, like, what what do you think in training helped put you over that, like, got you to that yeah. point? Like, yeah, that's what, that's what everyone wants training? to know, right? And that's what I want to right. know, because <laughs> I want to know how, how can I do that every single time for the rest of my running career? Yeah, I'm always, I'm always curious about, yeah. like, when someone goes from, like, okay, you're, you're running well, you're already running well, but then, like, something happens and you just take that next step into, like, elite status. Yeah. And it's just... I, and and, and I'll, I'll say the same thing that I tell to everyone. If I knew the answer, I'd be the world's most successful running coach of all time. And if my coach knew the answer, he'd be the world's most successful running coach of all time. What I can tell you is that the things that got me there were consistency, mileage positive mindset visualization and i and i i think that that out of those things the one that that i may have done the most differently from other people because anyone can run a bunch of well not anyone but a lot of people can run a bunch of miles a lot of people can you know eat the right food and train for a long period of time and i think that's hugely underrated in the marathon is thinking about how long you have been running for is a big piece of it too but the thing that i think helped me the most is that when I was running that race and I was running, you know, on pace for a 216 marathon, I had thought about that in my head on so many runs, the idea of running a 217 or a 216 or even a 215, that when it happened, it felt somewhat familiar. And it wasn't until after the race when it actually happened that it was like, oh my God, this actually just happened. Like there's, there's no way this actually just happened. And, and honestly, do you think, like, having your watch set to kilometers helps? Because I know there's been plenty of runs where I've gone out and just don't even put your watch on. Or you turn your watch on and I'll, like, turn it to the inside of my wrist and, and just not look at it the entire time. And then you finish and you're like, oh, like, 6.15 six yeah. pace I'm, for, like, what I thought was going to be an easy run? Like, In the past, I've been really good at psyching myself out and making myself nervous about like runs and paces and workouts and races and everything that I definitely think that if you've never done it before, give it a try or even try racing without a watch and only find out what your mile splits are, you know, when you hit that mile mark in the race, like have someone to tell you what you went through 5k in and then adjust your pace from there. Cause I think just like running to race and 
running by effort is like a really good way to sometimes break through that sort of mental barrier. I absolutely think there's something to be said about that. Um, Cause like, I, I think most of high school I, I went through or high school and college and even grad school, I didn't even think I had a, a, a watch to tell me the pace I was running. So I never actually played by that game. And it was always about competing, competing, competing. Um, unfortunately, I, I, don't, I don't think I don't think a lot of people are in that kind of position where it's like it's all about competing. But that's also a thing that, like, to be honest, regardless of the regardless of like the talent level you're at, when you compete, you end up really doing well. Like, you end up getting to the point, like, especially if you're kind of that mid pack. That's where it gets fun. We're like, I think a lot of people get really caught up in saying, where well, I'm in, I'm supposed to be running this pace. And at a certain point, like, you go out at the pace you want to run it, but then you start competing, and, like, the hype of, like, moving forward, moving through packs and going forward, that, like, that's where breakthroughs happen. Yeah. And there's a reason why, like, these, like, PR attempts don't ever happen. Well... You're just different. You did have a bike, yeah, but, yeah, but like yeah. you were also were solo. You were solo, yeah. but like, but there's a thing where it's like, like a lot of breakthroughs. You see it happen where it's like you just throw yourself in the race and say like, let's go play some games and see what we can do. Well, here. I'm a, and and I want to like clarify too. Like, I'm not saying that if if you do that too, like it's gonna work because I did the exact same thing at CIM this past year. And you watched the splits play out live, where like from 20k to 30k, I ran the third fastest split of anyone in the race. Like I ran five, like 506 pace for that entire segment, was on pace to run like 214. But like I crashed and burned that time. So like you got to kind of accept that that might happen. And in that moment, like I knew that that might happen. But you know, this was this was my shot, and I was gonna shoot it, and uh, and so like I went for it, and it didn't work out at CIM, but it worked out at, at the McCurdy Marathon. Like it, it just that's yeah. how it goes. So, so that actually leads into a couple questions that we have for you. Uh, my first question here is uh, post post a two sixteen. Um, How did that change for you as a runner and also for you out of, I guess, how you hold yourself as a runner too? Um, I'd say the only thing that it really changed for me in terms of how I view myself as a runner was just that, like, you know, now I feel like I can compete with those top-level people potentially. Um, and I started to view them more as just, like, other runners rather than, like, these icons you know most godlike figures that i thought of them as when i was in like high school and even college to a certain point because now i've started like I've, I've been able to go for like runs with some of them or talk to some of them in person or talk to some of them over uh like instagram and stuff like that and it, that was just like such a like weird crazy thing to me but i think as in terms of like how i view myself like i don't i it's, it's even weird, like, when I saw that you were labeling this, like, the elite files, because, like, in, in my mind, like, that, to me, that's, like, someone who's run, like, you know, faster than, like, two like 214 or 213 for the marathon. Like, I still don't even think that, that like, that's, that's me. Uh, 
I just still, I don't know. I, 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 and I still think of myself as just like, you know, someone who goes out and enjoys going for runs in the mornings and afternoons, but now I'm just doing it, you know, with a competitive purpose in mind. And, you know, I've got goals that seem more tangible now. So I think it did give me more confidence. It got me to look at pro running a little bit differently as like, a, oh, these are people I can start to think about racing now. Um, but as far as how I view myself, I don't think it changed too much, really, besides just validated some of the ideas I had about how fast I could run in the future. Thanks for listening to episode two of Beers and Miles, the Elite Files with Alex Burks. We really enjoyed recording this episode, and we really hope that you enjoyed listening to it. We got an episode three coming where we focus on a lot of fun questions. So you're going to have a great time listening to that. We'll figure out what uh, Nicole can pull out of the hat for this next week's episode. Alrighty, hope you have a great one.